let us pray. O Lord, we do pray that your still small voice may speak through the earthquake, wind, and fire. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I'm very grateful to our technician, Az, and for uh, Wes Gibbs, who are behind the desk today, that we managed to get to uh, tune in to what was happening at the Cenotaph. And I always think it's funny that the seagulls don't seem to get the memo about being quiet during the uh, uh, silence. But I wonder who you were remembering when we fell silent. It might be a family member who died or who was injured through the war. I was remembering my late granddad. He was a 28-year-old paratrooper uh, during the war, a Red Berry, as they call them, in the 6th Airborne Regiment, and he was blown up over enemy territory, but he was saved by two German women who took him to a British medical tent, and despite him being given the last rites, they thought he had died miraculously. He pulled through, lived to the age of 94 before he died. So I remember my granddad, how scarred he was physically and mentally by war. He would remember his mates at this time as well, especially those who were less fortunate than him and didn't make it home. You may also remember those affected by other conflicts around the world, both past and present. According to the 2021 census, almost one in 25 people aged over 16 in England and Wales was a veteran of the UK Armed Forces. That's 3.8% of our population uh, were registered of having served in the Armed Forces, uh, those over 16. That amounts to 1.85 million people today will be very personal in their remembrance as they remember their service and people that they have lost. Remembering can be a very personal thing. And yet we also remember, not just those in the armed forces, but we remember ordinary folk, those who weren't in the forces, perhaps humanitarian workers, or those who were just part of playing their part in community during the war. Remembering is far more than being stuck in the past. It's allowing the past to move us onwards, to shape us, to inform us. And we have to learn from the past so that we can live well in the present and in the future. It was the Nobel laureate and Holocaust survivor, Elie Wiesel, who put it like this, without memory, there is no culture. Without memory, there would be no civilization, no society, and no future. And so remembering is actually very important for many faiths, including Judaism, of course. It's important to Christians. That great act of remembering that we have in the Last Supper, at Holy Communion, we remember that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And this Eucharistic remembering is called the anamnesis. Somehow, when we share bread and wine together, the past is drawn into the present. Our salvation history becomes real in that moment. 
Remembering also includes for us the words of Jesus and his teaching. And so today, I'd like us to remember some tough sayings that were in our two gospel lessons today. Sometimes I think the words of Jesus become so familiar to us that they all too easily roll off the tongue. Yes, of course, we know those words without us feeling the full force of their challenge. Here, our first gospel lesson, when Jesus said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You know, Jesus rarely commanded. If you read his words, usually he inspired or encouraged people to reflect on their actions. But when it came to love, it was something that he expected, even demanded, from his followers. Jesus also said in our second reading these words, Not easy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And hear this, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wow. But isn't that a step too far? to love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you? And how can we be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect? Imagine saying those words to a Ukrainian whose city has been obliterated by bombs and where a family and friends have died and they're trying to make sense of it all. Imagine saying those words to a survivor of terrorism who has lost loved ones in a horrific, hateful act and who lives with the nightmares afterwards. And yet Jesus commands us to love. And sometimes we see the most outrageous acts of love from the people who you'd least expect to offer that love. You see, Jesus was not speaking ethereally or theoretically. He wanted us to live that way in practice. Our Lord longs for the world to be redeemed and for bad things not to be repeated, for there to be healing and forgiveness and a new future. And if Christians are to show the world what God is like, perfect love, self-sacrifice and Christ-like prayer are essential to the calling of those who are followers of Jesus. I find that a huge challenge and a responsibility because I don't always get that right. But yet it's our calling. And today as we remember, I want you to hear how difficult that challenge is and what our high calling is. We're to compare our behavior to God's nature. Our creator, who Jesus said, causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, we can't do this by ourselves, uh, separate from the Lord. We need to be in a right relationship with God to sustain us in that. If God is love, as we read in the Bible, then that love needs to flow through our veins. And we can only do that if we are in a relationship and prayerful before him. One of my predecessors here, uh, Methodist Central Hall, Westminster, was the Reverend Dr. William Sangster. 
He was the superintendent minister here from 1939 to 1955. And you can see on the table uh, at the bottom here, he's got his uh, dates that he lived. William Edwin Sangster, Methodist preacher. I love that it doesn't say superintendent minister. Just Methodist preacher. And he was a popular evangelical preacher here. And he sustained and packed a congregation in this church uh, throughout and after the war as well. And he pointed out in a sermon that remembering also involves forgetting. Let me just read an extract of his words. I want you to forget the hurtful things that have been done against you. In the Lord's Prayer, we say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You need forgiveness yourself. Have you been sinned against? Has someone slandered you or done you the deepest injury? Are you nursing the hope of revenge in your heart? Forget it, he said. For your own sake and for God's sake, cast it out of your heart now. However justified your resentment against another person may be, to harbor that resentment is to poison yourself. Be rid of that poison. Only by the special help of God can you deal with those deep resentments. Love is not just hard when it comes to issues like war. It's a challenge when it comes to our daily relationships. Let's be honest. It's tough to love and forgive those who love us sometimes let alone loving our enemies, it's often we feel a step too far. You see, all love, including loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us, is only possible when we become totally dependent on God's help, when we long for his spirit to work within us so that the miracle of God's grace can possess our being, enabling us to forgive be remade and enabled too. We may not feel that actually we can make any difference, but we can. Just by paying attention to our relationships, we can actually make a difference in the world. Let me read some extracts from William Sangster's biography. Some of you will have read uh, this. It's written by his son, Paul Sangster. And Paul writes these words uh, when speaking of Sangster. In my teens, seeking what I came to regard as a deeper and more personal experience from God, I drifted from the church of my baptism, this is Sangster, of course, and early training, and associated with a people called Methodist. When the time came for me to join the army on my 18th birthday, I was already a local preacher. Army life tested me and deepened me. The strange man upon the cross haunted and held me all the time. I came out of the army convinced that this was the only way, and I offered myself for the Methodist ministry. It was whilst he was in the army that Sangster felt that call. In Dr. Sangster, we then saw love in action through an ordinary, obedient man seeking to serve his Lord. He came to London from Leeds in 1939, 
He was aged just 39 when he came here. And in 1940, when the bombing of London began, homeless people from the slums of nearby Pimlico needed to be accommodated. It was William Sangster who threw open the vast reinforced basement here at Central Hall to the homeless. And this church became one of the biggest air raid shelters in the country, a home for up to a thousand people every night. Sangster and his family made their home here in a little flat on the sixth floor in which they were to eat and sleep for five years. And that was so that they could minister to those who came nightly for the shelter here. His son Paul writes these words, determined to offer no religion until it was asked for, he was soon begged to take evening prayers and it became a permanent institution along with a weekly lecture on current affairs and a Saturday night concert. He welded the whole into one huge happy family. Suspicion even grew up that if he, that is Dr. Sancta, was in the shelter, it would not be bombed. <laughs> Sangsta had the largest Sunday evening congregation in London, filling this great hall. He influenced people personally. Everybody mattered. Everyone was loved, loved him and was loved by him. And he never forgot a name or a face. And whenever I hear about my predecessors, I feel terribly unworthy and think I've got imposter syndrome and what on earth am I doing here? But this was the man, Sangster. And I mentioned earlier in his preaching that he told us to forget hurtful things done against you, rid yourselves of poison, and let God help us deal with deep resentments. So often when we hear of people in some of the most awful, worn, torn places of the earth, they will say they can't bear the poison that's in their hearts. There has to be a better way. And I believe that's part of people responding to God's love calling us in a different direction. There must be something better. And in one of Sangster's sermons, he spoke about the years uh, following the dropping of the atomic bomb over Hiroshima in 1945. Such a dreadful thing. I quote his words. We live in grey times. Truly our future is all unknown and the hearts of men fail because of fear. Using whatsoever gifts we have, we must bend our strength to the supreme task we have been given to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. This is our commission. We hold that he, he could save the world, and he sweeps his scepter over every area of life. In today's grey times, I encourage you to remember, not just today, but to go on remembering. And may that Remembering include those radical words of Jesus who laid down his life for us all that we might find peace with God and with one another. Remember the difference that one obedient soul can make. Remember our commission 
to make disciples, not to grow the church, but that others may find their lives changed. Remember our calling to be perfected in love, something that's been right at the heart of the Methodist movement. Remember Jesus is calling you and me to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Did Jesus mean what he said? The trouble is, I think he did. And we do well to ask for the help of his spirit in the harsh reality of a world that's failing to learn from the past. So please don't see his words as a step too far. They are too far for us, but with his help, we can take some little steps in the right direction. And God grant us all peace. Amen.